Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. What would an attorney who specializes in childbirth cases want you to know so that you can have a great birth experience? Well, that's what you are going to learn today in this episode with attorney Gina Mundy. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. If you're having a baby in the hospital, you are giving birth in a system that too often takes away power from women over what happens in their own bodies. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a practicing board-certified OBGYN who's had the privilege of helping well over a thousand babies into this world. I've been a doctor for over 20 years, and I'm here to help you take back your power, 
advocate for yourself and have the beautiful pregnancy and birth that you deserve. This podcast is for educational purposes only and it's not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 244. Whether this is your first time listening or you have listened before, I'm so grateful you're spending some time with me today. In this episode, we have Gina Mundy. Gina is an attorney who specializes in childbirth cases. For over two decades, she has analyzed the mistakes that are made during labor and delivery. Drawing on this knowledge, she has authored the book, A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth, to help parents prevent these mistakes and have a healthy baby. Rather than merely getting involved after an unfortunate incident occurred, Gina has taken a proactive approach by getting involved before childbirth. The book has been selling around the world since it was published in June of 2023, and it became a bestseller on Amazon in less than three months. Now, Gina's book is divided into 12 lessons, and we're going to briefly touch upon each of those lessons and her recommendations for each, and you can dive into the book to learn more. So those lessons are learning about labor and delivery, the delivery team, the good doctor, know your hospital, having a plan, have an advocate, know the types of fetal monitors, know what your baby's heart rate means, understanding tests and interventions, common facts and issues in legal baby cases, safety and epidurals, and understanding C-sections. Now, these are many of the same topics that I cover inside my online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. The birth preparation course is my signature program that will get you calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth with focus on helping you get ready for a hospital birth. Thousands of women have taken the class and I would love to have you inside the birth preparation course too. You can check out all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right, let's get into the conversation with attorney Gina Mundy. so much, Gina, for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I'm really um, excited to talk to you about this important topic and that how you come came to this and approach it, all of that good, great stuff. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you a little bit more today. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your work and your family, if you'd like. Oh, got to include my family. That's, <laughs> that's the most important job yeah. I have. So I have three kids, a 19-year-old girl, 15 uh-huh. year old girl. Uh-huh. And then I got my little Liam. So okay. he, uh, All right. he keeps me, he keeps everybody uh, happy. Yeah. Uh, yes. So I have also been an attorney for over 20 years and I specialize in childbirth cases. So for your audience, uh-huh. I did no idea this existed right. even throughout law school. Right. I took the bar exam, had no idea that there was something called a childbirth attorney. Uh-huh. Um, but basically, when something goes wrong during the birth of a child and the baby's not born healthy, or sometimes I've had some sad cases where mom has passed away, mm-hmm. then I'll be one of the attorneys on the case. Okay. And my my job is to come in and find out what happened, what went wrong, right. and probably more importantly, what should have been done so baby was born healthy 
or mom was around to, you know, raise her, raise her baby. Sure, sure. So that those questions have taken me uh, across the United States more than once. I've been in every state, every hospital system. Okay. Basically hashing out labor and delivery right. with people like yourself, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, midwives, mm-hmm. nurses, past residents, uh, you name it. I've, I've talked to them. If you're a, if you're ever part of a delivery team. Gotcha. <laughs> so I've, I've done that. Yes. Many, many years. Yeah. Um, so I took that experience and then I wrote a book and the book is a parent's guide to a safer childbirth. So the purpose of my book is to help expecting parents make sure that these mistakes and complications that I've seen for over 20 years mm-hmm. don't happen during the birth of their baby. Right. So right. instead of getting involved in the aftermath of something bad happening, I'm trying to get involved before childbirth just to to help, you know, help have more healthy babies. Sure, absolutely. That's the whole goal of the book. Yeah. So what I what made you decide to take your knowledge and and write a book because the vast majority of folks don't do that and then specifically for like expectant parents. Right. So we had a near family, very close family tragedy. Everybody's mm-hmm. okay. Right. But for about 20 minutes, you know, we didn't know what had happened. So basically my niece was uh, in labor and she was mm-hmm. giving birth to the first baby of our next generation. So okay. we we're very excited. We're sure. very close family. Right. And I answered the phone that day expecting to hear the good news that my niece Sam had her baby. And instead it was my sister, her mom, his hysterically crying and screaming and and it was right so I I ran outside my whole family was around me um I ran outside where I sat and I listened to her her cry and we just waited that that's all you can do but sure you know I'd been involved that day with the labor and I knew what was going on and you know I had this like of course legal analysis going Mm -hmm. on in my head but as I sat and I listened to my sister cry I went from this legal analysis to this human analysis Mm -hmm. and I for once felt I'm like this is how the families feel right right now It's this feeling of helplessness. Right. There's no, you know, right now at that moment in time, there's no decision now that's going to change the past. And Mm -hmm. all you can do is sit and hope and Mm -hmm. pray. And Mm -hmm. for me, that included just listening to -to soon-to-be grandma sob. Finally, we got word um, that the baby, everything was going to be okay. And today we have a very healthy baby. Sure. But it was just that connection because the hardest part of my job has always been to this day talking to the families about mm-hmm. the day their baby was born. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, if there's a case, unfortunately, his baby was not born healthy. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, and if especially if it's a mistake, if a mistake right takes the life of a little one. Right. It's like the parents, it's it, they almost like they can't, you know, it's hard for them to, I don't know how they ever move on. I've right. talked to them over the years and right. it's very, very difficult. Sure, sure, sure. And then what, what made you even decide to focus on childbirth cases? So, yeah, actually, I'm like, hold on, let me, let me just, I'll keep talking about the, keep on the same story. Yeah. Actually, I didn't really, I, I didn't really come full circle on that one. So that day that I listened to my sister cry, it, that, human experience just stayed with me. Okay. It, it I couldn't shake it. Right. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. 
what if I'm not around for the birth of my grandkids? Mm. You know, like I said, I have teenage girls and they're getting older. And I'm like, hmm, you know, maybe I, I know some stuff. I know things that people don't no, sure. Because of what I've specialized in uh-huh. with childbirth. So I am like, you know what? I'm going to start writing this stuff down, especially from not around for my grandkids. Now, Sam, my niece, her story is the introduction to the book. So okay. if you want all of the details, right, just right. put the introduction to the book right. and you can, you can check it out. But then, you know, as it pertained to my kids and then the rest of my nieces and nephews, I'm like, I got to write this down. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where it started. But then the minute I went from attorney mm-hmm. to author, mm-hmm. I mean, the information that was in my head just, just came out. Gotcha. But I can tell you how I prepare my kids mm-hmm. for childbirth mm-hmm. will be, it is or will be way different than how a family traditionally prepares, right, right. particularly given what I've seen sure. and whatnot. Right. So this is kind of, I wrote it every day, like I was talking to my kids. So they're, you know, they're still in their teenage years. So I still feel this, here's an issue or here's something you really need to know. And if it happens during, and then I have to solve every single problem because it's my kids. (laughs) Now I'm sure (laughs) as they age and they get in their twenties, they're going to be more independent, right? But right now they're not. So every, every, every problem has a solution. Um, And I would even call it a problem. Like this is just what you need to know. And if it happens during your labor, this is what you, you know, this is what you need to do to make sure these, you know, mistakes or complications, you know, don't happen, gotcha. especially during the birth of my grandkids. Right, right, right. Well, let's hop into it because the book, you have the, for everybody who's out there, the first chapter of the book is available on her website and it's very easy to read, very straightforward, clear, easy to understand and great lessons. So I want to touch upon each of the lessons, just briefly a little tiny bit about why you think this is important, especially from your uh perspective as an attorney. And then folks can go to the book, obviously, to get more. But I thought we would just just go through and 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 talk about each one of the things. How's that? That sounds perfect. Okay. Because I, I'll tell you, chapter one probably was the longest part. That was the longest chapter right. that our, it, or it took to write right. because these were all of the lessons, uh-huh. whether it's from uh, the medical experts, mm-hmm. whether it's from the delivery team, right. something I learned from them, or more importantly, whether it's from the families that you know are involved in these cases. Absolutely. These are the lessons every single parent should understand before childbirth. It will help to guide them. Even if they don't read the rest of the book, it will help guide them on a good foundation of what, what they need to know before the big day. That is why it's on my website for free. And you could download it. You can share it. You can do whatever you, you want with it. But lesson number one is is from the families. And mm. that is you have to prepare and learn about childbirth before you get to the hospital. Thank you for saying this. <laughs> like, yeah, yes, you know, I'll this tell is, you, it's yes. funny. I, I had a labor and delivery nurse go through my book before I published right. it. And she called me. And the first thing she said is, if every parent knew what was in your book, yeah. my job would be so much <laughs> yes, easier. Yes, yes. Right. But, you know, I found that the families in the cases, they're they're kind of guilty of something we're all guilty of. And that is bad things only happen to other people. Mm. And unfortunately, that leaves you in a very vulnerable state. Right. And I wouldn't recommend it on one of the biggest days of your life. So just preparing and learning. It's not about just, you know, everyone, new baby. It's like, oh, great. Nursery, baby clothes, stroller, all that fun stuff. It's like, 
And of course, the childbirth attorney is like, no, we have to get ready for the big day. Right. Like that's the most important part to make sure we can get, you know, baby and all the cute clothes after that. Absolutely. So just learning about it. So but each lesson is a subsequent chapter yep. of the book. So learning about so then chapter two is the basics of labor and delivery. But they're different basics. These are not the basics that you're going to read about in a normal childbirth book. These these are the basics of the childbirth attorney. Sure. So these are the facts that I find to be important when either I'm assessing a case. Um, as a childbirth attorney, I do I do get phone calls mm-hmm. and text messages from family and friends in labor and delivery. Right. You know, these are the facts that I these are my core facts that I rely on. That you know have really given me a good understanding of childbirth. Absolutely, much, but again, much different. Yeah. Lesson two: uh-huh. delivery team. Your delivery team. Yes. Let's talk about what is the importance of the delivery team. So I, this is something I talk about a lot as well. <laughs> yes. So you know, mm-hmm. the delivery team is responsible for bringing baby safely into this world. When there is a legal baby case, a childbirth case I'm involved in, it is the delivery team's actions or inactions that are the center of the case. It is the part of the case that is talked about more than anything else. Mm. So it is important to have an understanding of the roles, the people who will be on your delivery team. Uh For instance, do you have residents? Do you just have a nurse? Right. Do you have midwives? Right. Where Where's your doctor? Right. Uh, you know, is doctor just calling in? Does doctor come visit you? Right. So not just necessarily because it's hard sometimes, especially with who's on call. You may not mm-hmm. necessarily know who is going to be there, which I think goes back to lesson number one, the importance of understanding what happens during labor and birth. But you're saying like, you need to know all the players, like who are the potential people, which a lot of people don't necessarily know. Oh, 100%. Because just like you pointed out, listen, the people who are on your delivery team are people who are scheduled to work that day. Mm -hmm. It is what it is, Mm -hmm. whether the doctor's on call, the nurse. I mean, I've had cases where one case actually it's in the book, but I had a I had two nurses, one 20 years experience, mm-hmm. literally born to be a labor and delivery nurse. Right. She was amazing. That was my first nurse. My second nurse had just gotten out of training, had decided she did not want to be a labor and delivery nurse mm. and did not like the whole childbirth thing. Okay. okay. That day when the patients walked in, it was luck of the draw who got which nurse. Right. So in my book, I go over not only the importance of understanding your delivery team, but listen, if you get the nurse who doesn't like her job, you don't and you don't have a good feeling about the nurse, then you got to step in and say something or have someone else say something. Right. But in that case, for instance, at that hospital, everybody knew that that inexperienced nurse did not like her job and mm. she was leaving the unit. So if the patient would have said, hey, can I get a new nurse? Listen, everybody on labor and delivery that day would have been on the same page as that patient because they already knew. But that very experienced nurse also from that day, she can't just stick her head in your room and say, hey, if you don't like your nurse, let me know. It doesn't work like that. But once you say something, that nurse can do what she does best and help you. Gotcha. 
Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual, their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. So let's go to the, the next lesson, which I thought was interesting, is the, the good doctor. And you pointed out that it seems like in your experience, most are caring, most want to do the right thing. So then what do you mean about the, the good doctor? Oh, yeah. So I know this is creepy because you're one of the doctors, <laughs> but I have been analyzing doctors for over 20 years, yes. specifically OBGYNs. Right, right. And, you know, I have to analyze you when you talk. I have to say, okay, you can get in front of a jury. Uh-huh. And then I read like huge reports, right. literally taking all of my thoughts uh-huh. and my analysis and writing it down. Gotcha. So this is... So yes, I have traveled, like I said, the country, and I have found that most of the doctors, the ones I represent, mm-hmm. most OBGYNs are amazing. And yes, I do say in my book, some do irritate me, sure. but they're still good doctors. Mm-hmm. So what I do, though, when I see a doctor is I do like a doctor analysis. Uh-huh. So I go over that under chapter one uh-huh. a little bit. Right. And then there's also some other things that have happened with doctors that um, you know have been interesting that I included in the book. Uh-huh. One of them the Yoda imposter. Yeah, what is that? A, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm meeting with a nurse on a case. Uh-huh. Right after the birth of that baby in that case, the nurse had left uh-huh. the hospital system and she went to a different one. So she was not really familiar with the players at the, you know, old hospital right. anymore. So I meet with the nurse and I mention a doctor's name and she goes, Oh, Yoda. And I'm like, Yoda. Right. I'm like, are you are you calling him Yoda because he looks like Yoda? Like, I don't I don't think he looks like Yoda. Right. There's no way <laughs> right. we're referring to the same doctor. Right. Well, she clarified that we actually were talking about the same doctor. Where you know I'm like, you better Google his name because it's not good. But the doctor um, had done some pretty bad things to a lot of his patients, and oh. it had just been coming out. But, you know, she she told me why she called him Yoda, that he was known as this amazing, wise doctor that no one ever really saw. But he did these amazing things for his patients. That was his reputation when she left the hospital. Right. I'm sure his reputation now is far from that. But the whole point of the Yoda imposter is just because they have a good reputation, it does not equate to good care. Mm. So... Don't be careful with that. You really, you know, when I do my doctor analysis, I really fall back on my instincts, intuition, yes. and how do they communicate yes. to me is, is probably the big thing. But, you know, so same thing. Just make sure, you know, if you read the chapter, uh-huh. chapter four on good doctor. And then I also list 20 questions 
to ask your doctor, your OBGYN. And I don't know if you went through all the questions, but those are the questions we literally we ask in deposition or at trial. So if we're trying to establish credibility with a doctor, you know, in front of a jury or whatnot, we're trying to get into who they are and whatnot. These these are kind of the questions that we ask. But I'm like, you know, these are great questions right. that patients should know. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. So I kind of guide guide them on, you know, that is ask. so important because it's easy, you know, nice is not the same as competent and people can kind of let things go by because someone's nice. But like you said, listen to that instinct that mm, something's not quite adding up. Really, really important. Okay. Let's move on to the next lesson. Also, y'all, these lessons are all great. They're so, I'm just so excited about all of them, but this one, know your hospital. And you made the interesting point that your hospital can even be more important potentially than your doctor, it kind of depends. So what are your thoughts on knowing the hospital? Right. That's super important. So listen, there's all, I, I delivered my first baby at a huge hospital, but you know, really, I, I'll just say I'm a C-section, 39 weeks, elective, whatever. So my last baby was born at a small community hospital uh-huh. because that's very low risk to baby. Right. So, you know, all of them are good options depending on, you know, the risks or, you know, your individual pregnancy. But if you have maybe a higher risk delivery, like a VBAC, mm-hmm. a vaginal birth after C-section, mm-hmm. um, a small community hospital, if you're going to use them, uh, you got to be asking some questions because, you know, there's some hospitals with policies. So the risk, I'm sure your audience probably knows this, but if not, or you could tell us yeah. the risk of a VBAC is that if you have a vaginal birth after C-section, mm-hmm during labor, then there's a risk of that old incision yep. kind of opening. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's called a uterine rupture. Yep. That's where the, the uterus ruptures and it is very bad for mom and baby. So when that happens, obviously, you know, like sure. C-section. Right. So, you know, if you have a higher risk delivery, it's just like, okay, we may want to make sure that, you know, the afterbirth care of baby is good. Right. Um, there's different levels of hospital. Uh-huh. But then also going back to the VBAC, if you're doing a smaller community hospital, Find out, does your OBGYN need to stay at the hospital? Mm-hmm. Usually VBACs, they've been lately, they've been having the, the doctor stay at the hospital. But here's the trick. The anesthesiologist can be 30 yes. minutes away. I'm like, wait a yes. minute, to do a C-section, we need a doctor, we need OBGYN, yes. we need the surgeon, yes. and we need an anesthesiologist. I mean, I've had, yeah. you know, I've had an OBGYN with a VBAC, and they couldn't wait, and she did local. Which is every OBGYN's worst nightmare to have to do yeah, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't want to. So you know what? Be Make sure you're at a hospital if you're, for instance, a VBAC. Just make sure you're at a hospital where everybody's going to be there. Because I can tell you, if your old incision opens, and depending on how it happens and what happens, that can be very, very bad for babies. So it's mm-hmm. just important that everybody is there because a lot of these bigger hospitals, I mean, they've testified, they can do, they're doing C-sections in five to seven minutes, right. So, which is crazy. Yeah. So it's it can be very fast and that will get your baby safely out of that environment at the speed of light, which may, you know, may be very important. Is, is very important. So it's just, you know, if you're first time mom, you're going uh, into, you know, natural, you know, childbirth, no Pitocin, you're not being induced, you know, you, you probably have some more options. Right. But if you have more of a high risk type delivery, like a VBAC or whatnot, yeah, you might, I would be researching your hospitals and then find, make sure there's the criteria, which is in the book. 
and then, you know, then finding your doctor. Absolutely. So important. So important. All right. Next lesson is having a plan. Right. So the ultimate birth plan. So I know some people are like a birth plan. Listen, it's not so much rolling up to the hospital with a whole detailed plan. That's, mm-hmm. that's not how I think. It is the act of preparing for childbirth. It is looking at all of these possible decisions that you may have to make, marinating in them, thinking mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. Go online, Google them, make a phone call, text. Right. Because remember, once you get to the hospital, you know, you know, it is all about physically and mentally trying to deliver baby. And yes. it's the only time I feel like in a woman's life where it's okay to be an incredible amount of pain, that incredible amount of pain is also going to kind of alter your state of mind. Right. So it's just important that you have a good understanding, reading my book, reading a book just about childbirth. Mm -hmm. It's huge because you're going to read this and you're just going to think and marinate. What if they do offer me a C-section? Right. Because the problem is if you don't just prepare for childbirth, then there's like in these a doctor maybe offers you something like a C-section or you know maybe right. you do need it or let's start pitocin whatever it is and there's like almost like an element of surprise mm-hmm. like wait a minute I'm not ready for this what right. what did you just say right. and then you know it can kind of inhibit your ability to focus yep. and absolutely you know it's almost like deer in the headlights and right. you know in my book I use an analogy when I got to do a big cross exam of an expert of an OBGYN like yourself mm-hmm. You know, I get ready. I meticulously go through my case. I write down my questions. I read through my outline three times. I put it down and I never look at it again. And I don't have to because I'm ready. And that allows me to pivot. And that allows, you know, it allows me to do what I need to do for an effective cross exam. But am I walking up reading my questions? No. Do you need to walk into the hospital with your birth plan? No. Can you? Absolutely. Give it to your delivery team if that's what you choose to do, 100%. Right. But my chapter on this is more about helping you prepare. And then when you're doing a plan, you can do a plan for two months and just kind of, again, you're just slowly building your plan and marinating in it and different things. So it's just, it's good. And exactly. Because so again, another important point, you you actually can't, birth can't be planned. It's it's so unpredictable. There's so many things that are out of our control, but the thing that you can control is how prepared you come into the process that is absolutely within your control. So it's not like you're saying, oh, make this detailed birth plan. It's you're saying, be prepared. That's going to be your best, the, the best thing that you can do in order to help have a good experience. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And speaking of which, another thing, cause you just mentioned how when you're in the throes of labor and you know, that pain and how your mind is being altered, the next lesson is also super important and that is have an advocate. So tell us about that. Oh, absolutely. Again, like you just said, you're in this altered state of mind. You need to focus on delivering your baby mentally and physically. So for instance, let's say you're not a fan of your nurse. Okay. For you laboring mom to now, okay, I I need to talk to a charge nurse. I'm going to follow Gina's instructions. No, (laughs) just if you're a baby advocate can be anybody. Let me back up a little bit. It can be husband. Uh If he's a, you know, a good advocate, if he's going to step in, it can be grandma. Mm -hmm. Soon to be grandmas are the best advocates Mm -hmm. ever. And it could be a really good close family friend. It could be somebody who maybe has a job in labor and delivery, you know, type thing. But you just kind of look at them and you say, hey, you know, I'm not a fan of my nurse or give him the look if it's your husband and have him fix it. Mm -hmm. And that 
allows you to continue to do what you need to do. Um, and you now your advocate's on it and there's no reason to worry about Absolutely. anything. But in the baby advocate chapter, I write right at the end. I'm like, you, could, you know what? Your family and friends are there anyway. Just give them a little fancy job. And like any type of job, you have a little bit of training. I give seriously just the five things they need to know. Okay. I'm like, if they have know these five things, I'm like, they're going to be doing okay. Awesome. Um, and then, you know, they can they can step in and that will help keep your worry down. And also, if you're not worried, then that whole natural process of giving birth mm-hmm. is going to be so much easier. Yeah. You want to avoid the fight or flight yes. mentality. Yes. You know, so if you're getting stressed out during birth, that's you don't want to do that. You want to stay calm and, you know, make let that process take you know, do its thing. Absolutely. And, you know, so that's why it's important to have a baby advocate, someone that's going to sit and advocate for you and baby. Definitely, definitely. Now, the next two, I'm curious to hear about these because part of me is like, wait, can re- people really know these for sure before labor? Or is this something that just OBGYNs and nurses know? So let's talk about them. And we can maybe talk about them together, but the types of fetal monitors and then your ba- what your baby's heart rate means. So how much can people really learn or know about that? Like, what do you mean by those? So do you use the Monaco wireless? We do. Mm -hmm. Do you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that chapter probably was written because of that. We've had quite a few cases in Michigan, unfortunately, uh, where the Monaco wireless Uh was being used. Uh And I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but basically if something happens in utero, so we've had water break, uterine rupture, uh, those monitors, I'm sorry, so the water breaks and the heart rate goes away because right. something, the placenta detached. Right. So placental abruption after the water breaks and then uterine rupture. But the problem with the wireless monitor, it, while it's awesome, mom can walk around, mm-hmm. she can go up to 100 feet away. Mm-hmm. It's non-invasive. It's great right. unless something happens. Because what we found in the cases is that those will just drop the baby's heart rate. Uh-huh. But because they're wireless, there's a lot, the, there's the whole troubleshooting thing that starts. Oh. So babies in trouble and everybody's troubleshooting. Now, we've had other cases with very similar facts and an internal monitor has been used. Mm-hmm. And as you know, way more invasive. It's getting screwed to the baby's head, right. whatnot. But listen, there's water breaks and something happens to the placenta, your uterus ruptures and baby gets in trouble. Boom, you can see that and the delivery team can respond immediately. Gotcha. Um, and then another, again, another common fact in my baby cases is that an internal monitor was not placed timely, i.e., you know, baby's showing some signs of, you know, not being happy. Mm-hmm. Um, either they kept the monitor on mm-hmm. or just the whole external mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, you know, you just have to decide, again, if you're low risk, Having a Monica on, good, and it's your first baby right. and everything's fine. Right. You know, maybe that's a great option for you. Right. But I think more importantly is um, one of the harder cases I had uh, involved that. And I, it really, the, I had to take the testimony of the mom and it was, it was probably one of the hardest things mm. um, because in all the cases with the Monica where they lost the baby's heart rate, mm. it did take too long. And none of those babies ever survived. Okay. So, you know, it's very difficult. Gotcha. So that's where that whole chapter came into play. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, and this is, again, this is childbirth attorney. This is what I see. Right. Um, so, you know, but again, it's it's just telling, I don't, 
I think I just went into a little bit more detail than I do in my book. My book is a little bit more fluffy, uh-huh. but it just gives them the options like, hey, there is this wireless, but, you know, be careful folks of this. Gotcha. But then there's internal, mm-hmm. which is like I call it the gold standard, right. but it's very invasive. And there's a wire between your legs and you're hooked to a machine right. and it's stuck to your baby's head. Gotcha. But if baby gets in trouble we can move gotcha. or you guys can move quick. Gotcha. So, you know, I just kind of go through sure. just so they have this basic. And actually, that one's my shortest chapter because it's like, <laughs> here's your three monitors. Right. And so, yeah. And then the, um, so that's the Monica and the internal. And then there is the old traditional one we people probably see more in the pictures. Yes. Yeah. You know, the pictures of the big strap sure. around your belly sure. and that's the external monitor. So again, it's just about knowing what to expect and what your options are. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because some doctors are, you know, I've noticed would love to place that internal pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and some doctors don't. So, you know, that's a really big thing. You know, I missed this in the doctor's chapter, but you guys, you know, your profession has always a lot of different opinions mm-hmm. or you know, the way you guys manage things, right. it, it really varies from one doctor to another. Definitely, It does. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So what do you want folks to know about knowing what the baby's heart rate means? So I had a doctor one time testify, and I, and I quoted his testimony mm-hmm. in my book. He said, the only way a baby can talk to their doctor is through their heart rate. Uh. And I'm like, bing, 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 bing. That's true. Okay, so if mom mm-hmm. knows the baby's heart rate, mm-hmm. then baby can talk to mom or baby advocate right. or right. whatnot. Right. But I mean, you know this. I mean, this is this is all the, your bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But baby's inside mom, inside the uterus. It's not like assessing mom. You can look at mom, and mom is swollen or not doing good. You look at her, and you are like, whoa, what's up? Right. You ask her some questions together. You guys almost make a treatment plan or diagnosis. Everything's great. Baby's a lot harder. Right. You know this. I'm telling you yeah. stuff. No, you already no, know. No, but this, this is for is your a, audience. Is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but baby's inside you. So it's not that your doctor can just assess baby. There's, you know, so the best way to figure out how baby's doing 
is their heart rate. Mm -hmm. Because if their heart rate, there's like almost like a normal heart rate, they call it reassuring. And then there's some other stuff. But if you know, and I I really try to keep this basic sure. in the book. Right. And just understanding what a good heart rate looks like. And then if there's any changes, listen, you can go notify your delivery team. Right. Because my book is also about working with your delivery team, having an understanding or, you know, or your baby advocate. Right. I do tell them they need to have the basic understanding of the baby's heart rate. Also, if you know, if you have a good understanding of the baby's heart rate mm -hmm. or exactly kind of what that means or even just a basic understanding. But that way, if your delivery team comes in or the doctor comes in and says, hey, we're kind of concerned about the baby's heart rate, you're going to know what they mean. Mm. And they may say, hey, we're concerned about the baby's heart rate. We can either continue to do go for a vaginal natural delivery right. or we may want to start talking about C-section. Right. So here's your two options because we're not really a fan of the baby's heart rate right now, gotcha. but you decide. Gotcha. So, you know, that happens a lot in cases too. Okay. It's like, and now it's on mom right. and it's like, really mom's typically like, okay, doctor, what do you think? Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but they're do, you know, so if it's an early, but it's good for parents to know this. Sometimes I feel like the, the medical community always wants to keep the heart rate to uh -huh. themselves. <laughs> and, you know, but listen, I'm a non-medical person uh -huh. and I can look at a baby's heart rate uh -huh. and I've done this many, many cases, right. but I can look and be like, oh, baby's a rock star. Right. Oh, baby is in big trouble. Okay. Like, you know, I can look at his yeah. trip and see that. So it's like, why, why don't moms and dads gotcha. have them loving yeah. this? No, so hopefully no. my book changes that right. a little bit. Do you ever see, I think the part that's hard for me, like, it sounds like, and this is, this is unfortunate, but sometimes you see cases where it looks like for extended periods of time, it was obvious that this baby was in distress and nobody did anything. Is that fair to say that that, happens sometimes i think it's the well as you know so if the heart rate um this is going to cover maybe even in one of our next chapters uh -huh. actually this is going to go right segue right into chapter 10 tests and interventions uh -huh. so as you know if the baby's heart rate's not looking great mm -hmm. there's a process it's not baby's heart rate doesn't look good c-section right it's no right it's it's chapter 10 it's the tests and interventions mm -hmm. So baby's heart rate's not looking good. Let's uh, let's turn mom's mm -hmm. baby on the cord. Right. Is um, I know I don't know if you guys do oxygen. I think oxygen's out now. We still. Do. I think it's just a habit. We still. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but there's um, or you may bolus the patient uh -huh. or or whatnot. But so there's certain tests and interventions where they tried to get you know whatever's wrong. They tried to fix it. Right. In hopes that, you know, mom can deliver naturally. Gotcha. So it's that process. It's, okay, uh, how fast is the delivery team noticing that something's up with the baby's heart rate? Uh -huh. Okay, now we've noticed. Okay, now we have our process. Right. We have we have the nurse there. Right. Okay, nurse is going to start her uh, interventions. Mm -hmm. And then we got to contact the doctor. Okay, let's have the doctor get there. But there's like a process. Right. And then at some point, it's like C-section. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's it's... It's how fast that process goes sure. a lot of times in the cases. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize, I think even obstetricians don't realize, one of the most common issues or the most common, I'm just going to you know, spoil it, medications mm -hmm. that is part of legal cases is, is what? Share that with us, please. So when I get a new baby case in, mm -hmm. the first words I typically read in almost all of my cases mm -hmm. Mom is being induced with Pitocin. 
Okay. So Pitocin is definitely by far Mm -hmm. the number one fact in a legal baby case. Okay. It's actually so important that I wrote chapter 14 Mm -hmm. is all about how to have, Mm -hmm. you know, a safe Pitocin induction. Mm -hmm. And that's based upon, I've watched Pitocin inductions gone wrong since February, 2003. Mm -hmm. So my experience with, you know, what could have been done better Mm -hmm. or my advice, you know, to, yeah, again, my kids or expecting parents, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's laid out there. Is it just that it's overused and not turned off when it should be turned off or back? Is that what you see? Sometimes. Okay. So, you know, you know this, everybody mm-hmm. responds to Pitocin differently. Mm-hmm. So I call it in my book, dude, you want slow and steady. Mm-hmm. You know, you're OB. I don't know if you go by, you up it by twos. I like ones. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I'm, <laughs> so I don't know if you're two, four, six, eight, ten. I like one, two, real slow, uh-huh. three. Watch how mom's body is, you know, responding to it. Right. But, you know, something else I noticed while writing this book and obviously some of the cases is that the drug insert for Pitocin caps them out at like 10. But, you know, in a lot of um, really? baby cases, yeah, you should... We should chapter on pit. <laughs> right. And I know because you guys are, you guys typically have an order to 20 uh-huh. and then you'll hit 30 if you need to. But no, they're like 10. And then there was a study that came out right before I published my book. It was mm-hmm. one of the very last things. I went and added it in just because I liked it so much. Right. Um, but basically, so your, you know, Pitocin is like it artificially stimulates your contractions. Mm-hmm. It's a synthetic drug. But you have like your natural oxytocin, same thing as Pitocin, in your body. So they say in this study, when you go over 10 Mm -hmm. and then your natural oxytocin levels are kicking in, you actually go on like oxytocin, Pitocin overload. Okay. So again, they warn like after 10, you know, and again, everyone reacts to Pitocin differently. This is a huge, so it's hard to almost, it's like the hospital and doctors need protocols but it really needs to be very patient specific uh-huh. when it's administered because some, yeah, some patients re- require way more than 10. Right. It, it is what it is. Right. So, and some patients don't. Right. So I just kind of go over that, you know, the studies, the drug insert for Pitocin, uh-huh. you know, it's a, um, it's a high alert medication. Um, there's what, I, if it's in the book. Okay. Four, no, that, 14 of those yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah 10, 14. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, high alert medication. That has, that's one of the, so those are one of, you know, worldwide considered one of the most dangerous drugs. Okay. That's good to know. And then the, the last couple of things we'll touch on, which I hadn't even thought about probably because I guess I'm not an anesthesiologist, but safety and epidurals. Like how often do you see issues surrounding epidurals? Well, that so that chapter came after just a very difficult case mm-hmm. for me as, you know, a mom, oh, you know, wife, a human. Sure. Um, basically, so I, in these cases, you know, I don't know if your audience understands this, but I am the attorney for the hospital mm-hmm. and the doctors and the nurses and the midwives when there's a case mm-hmm. um, and something happened to either mom or baby. But I had one case that came in and mom had passed away. Um, and it was because of the epidural, but the family didn't know that. Okay. And that's not something that was in our medical record. Right. The family had then probably the biggest mistake was retaining an attorney who's not a childbirth attorney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so they just didn't have the case. Right. And so I, I knew what happened to mom. 
that she had died during this epidural, but the family didn't. And they, they needed closure and I knew it, but I couldn't as the attorney and my confidentiality with the hospital doctors and everybody, I can't ever disclose it to the family. So it just always weighed on me Mm -hmm. because I knew, I don't know, they needed closure and I could never deliver that. So basically what I did then was write that chapter to say, hey, this is how you have a safe epidural experience and make sure that none of this ever happens again. If it's the only ever good thing that came out of that, hopefully we can prevent future-wise. Gotcha, gotcha. But epidurals tend to be, you know, it's just hard. Everyone gets epidurals, Mm -hmm. especially if they're on Pitocin. Mm -hmm. I feel like Pitocin and epidurals go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, It is literally borderline one of the most common facts too in a case. But since everyone gets them, it was hard for me to make that connection. Gotcha. But I think your your combo of epidural and Pitocin really needs to be monitored carefully. So I go over like stuff like that in that chapter. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then the final one is... C-sections. My question about C-sections is, do you find that most often folks are being um, sued or litigation surrounds not doing a C-section soon enough? Yes. Okay. hundred percent. Okay. That's probably the main, the main issue Mm -hmm. in all of my cases is that whole, you know, baby's heart rate. There's a concerning that whole procedure to C-section. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, it it too, it could be, this is why it's important to have knowledge and work with your delivery team. Because if you know something's wrong with the baby baby's heart rate, or now you know the importance that it has to continue graphing because maybe there were concerns about the baby's heart rate, mm-hmm. you know, you can alert your delivery team. You know, I had a really sad case. And actually, let me back up a like sure. two seconds. But Another one of the most common facts uh-huh. in a legal baby case uh-huh. is a busy labor and delivery unit. Mm. It's when the delivery teams are running hard right. and you guys are running thin right. and eyes eyes off the prize. Right. So that is a, I get a case in and oh, so many times I call that first witness and they're like, oh, I remember that day. It was so busy. Right. And I'm like, oh, again, why you have to be mm-hmm. ready. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, so- Going on to my case, I had mom get to labor and delivery, and it was extremely busy. Mm -hmm. They started the baby's heart rate. You know what? It was kind of concerning. And so they did the interventions, but they were in a hurry, and they were like, you know what? We think baby's going to be okay, and baby's okay. So we're just, you know, she had an external monitor on, and they, they left. And the the nurse and the doctor, and they had to go, you know, all their patients. It was the in-house doctor. It wasn't even her private doctor. The private doctor, like, was trying to get to the hospital, but rush hour in Michigan uh, was a little bit challenging. And uh, anyway, so baby's heart rate stops graphing. Mm. And the family doesn't understand the importance of why that needed to be graphing. The delivery teams running hard, seeing the other patients. And finally, a nurse comes back and is like, oh, the the baby's heart rate stopped graphing. Well, they put the external back on and they're like, "Uh oh, where's baby's heart rate? And they brought in the ultrasound and the baby had actually passed away on labor and delivery. You know, it's just like and the family's in the room. Mom, dad, grandma, grandma, just she was beside herself. So there's just these important parts Mm -hmm. about. You know, if the family can help come in and, you know, be those eyes Mm -hmm. or the baby advocate, that's why I'm like baby advocate, Mm -hmm. you're learning the basics. Mm -hmm. 
um, mm-hmm. of fetal monitoring. I know it's kind of scary, right. but it actually doesn't take too long. If you take the time and I try to do it in my book as simple as possible, I had six pregnant beta readers <laughs> go over my book and I'm like, can you j- just read that part of right, fetal monitoring? Right, do, you, right, do you get it? Right. And they're like, you know, I, I had to rewrite it you know, to make it even more simple for them. But just having a good understanding. And then that way, you know, you get that if the family that day would have gone and said, hey, I know there were concerns about the baby's heart rate. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that it continue to graph, which they would know if they had a book, but obviously it wasn't around. The delivery team would have came in, known how important it was to keep that baby on the monitor. But not only that, if they put the monitor back on they, or they adjusted it and they could see that baby was in trouble, that you know this, that patient would have been their priority right. all day long. Right. Not mom who stalled out in labor sure. and now needs a C-section. Right. No, right. if they know baby is in trouble, right. the delivery teams are going to move at the speed of light to fix it. Right. Right. Gotcha. 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 And then the final question I'll ask is how often do you see that, that an unfortunate event happened and it's not necessarily that anybody did anything overtly wrong. It's just that sadly something happened. Yeah, we definitely have those cases. It's hard for me to quantify, right. especially when you throw in the confidentiality mm-hmm. with the sure. hospital. Yeah. But absolutely. Um, and the good doctor, I talked to talk about the doctor at trial that I had. She, you know, unfortunately, this was a mom who, you know, came to the labor and delivery unit and she had no prenatal care. Mm-hmm. She had no amniotic fluid. Mm. She was smoking. Well, she had positive for marijuana, Mm -hmm. vaginal bleeding. They start the baby's heart rate. It's not great. But the way, you know, it played out in labor and delivery, obviously, baby was born very, very sick. Mm -hmm. And the family then filed a lawsuit and sued the doctor for the injuries to the child. Mm. That doctor. So we took that one to trial. And even in the book, I talk about it just. She was so upset from that trial. Right. Like she couldn't drive her car to trial for weeks. It was weeks. Right. Her husband would come and get her and drop her off. And then I, you know, as the attorneys, we would we would take our turns right. and drive the doctor. Right. You know, so these really, especially something like that, yeah. where it impacted the doctor yeah. so much. Yeah. And she, you know what? She was excellent. She was an excellent. And she, you know what she was? She was an MFM. Mm. She actually, so she's in the, she was in the trenches every single day. She right. was a staff MFM. Right. So she was in the trenches delivering babies every day right. you know, or when she worked and whatnot. But uh, no, she was absolutely amazing. So something like that. Yeah, we're going to take it to trial and it wasn't her fault. And actually, I don't want to ruin the story in the book, but the jury being fully advised of what I told you five, six days before Christmas actually did render a verdict against the doctor in favor of the family. That's, see, I, you know, that's really challenging because it's like, what personal responsibility does that person have, you know, not having gotten any prenatal care? And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's for us is very frustrating <laughs> on, on our oh, side. Oh, we, we were, we were shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, we were beyond shocked. The best thing we could think of is, you know, you have an injured baby in a wheelchair mm-hmm. you have a family, you're days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, you know, we walked home, we walked home, we walked back to the office, which was just across the street at the time. And doctor walks in and she's like, we sat down at the conference room. She hadn't said a word. And, uh, she just looked at us and she's like, I quit. 
and she was done. She's like, I'm not delivering babies anymore. And it was very emotional. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of those times where her, the attorneys go from attorney to psychologist right. like real quick. Right. So we, you know, we, we gave her some time and whatnot. She never did quit. She promised not to quit until we appealed the verdict okay. and that we got a result from the appeal. Um, so she did continue to deliver babies. And then finally, many years later, we we were successful in the appeal and the verdict was overturned in favor of the doctor. It's just hard. It's a long time. So yeah. It is. But yeah. she and it was very rough on her. But in, in the end, I think justice was served. It was just a long path. Sure. Yeah. So then as we wrap up, what is the most frustrating part of your work? Oh, my goodness. You guys and your different opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I remember when I first started in this you know, I, and again, it goes back to why it's so important for, you know, moms to pick their good doctor, mm-hmm. to have an understanding because you guys have just, I will, this is in the book. I mean, I'll talk to one doctor and they'll be like, eh, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be saying this online, but you know, they'll be like way too much Pitocin. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they, they rocketed the baby out of the uterus, you know? And then Another doctor will look at that same care and be like, everything was done perfectly. Mm-hmm. So earlier in my career, I would get very frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how? And I would. I started asking in the middle of depositions. I'm like, why do? Why does this doctor think this and you think this? Mm-hmm. And even the doctors, like, I don't know. And you know, but you guys do. You guys have very, very different opinions, right. which definitely is one of the reasons you know why it's important for uh, for you guys to for the families to know what's going uh, on because they one doctor may give one recommendation and another doctor may give a completely different recommendation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. god that's so true so true then on the flip side what's the most rewarding part of your work probably like the doctor from the trial when years later that that verdict was overturned but also nurses Nurses are amazing humans. And uh, one thousand percent. Yeah. <laughs> they they are. And especially the ones that really enjoy being a labor and delivery nurse. Mm-hmm. And you'll know if you get yep. one of those or not. Yeah. But in my cases, so I'll meet with a nurse and they show more human emotion than any other witness in a case. Mm-hmm. So typically I sit down and they just start crying. And, you know, I feel bad because a lot of times something bad happens, but they they don't have the resources at the hospital right. or anywhere to, you know, go see, or, you know, something bad happens and they just live with it. Right. And when they cry, it's not because they think they did something wrong right. or anything like that. Like they're just genuinely upset yeah. that something bad happened to a baby or a mom. Right. So I tend to try to rehabilitate them and, you know, get them through the process. And, you know, I've become friends with some amazing nurses. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just think they're just such a special breed of people Mm -hmm. who are so caring and so kind and just dedicate their lives to being, you know, they're, they're the ones that are at your bedside. They're the ones right there all the time. They're the ones usually communicating with your doctor unless you have residents. They're just they have such an important job. And so many of them take it to heart. So when I can help them in my cases and whatnot, it's that's probably definitely the most rewarding. Yeah, yeah. So then, where can people find find you find your book? So the best place to find me is ginamundy.com, G-I-N-A-M-U-N-D-Y, and it'll have links then to where you can find my book. But my book is actually my book was one big book, 
and then now, and then I cut it into two. Okay, now I'm just going to confuse your jury. No, no, I'm going to confuse your audience. <laughs> so <laughs> here we go. I'm super confusing Gina. But basically, um, I was trying to get my book published and I divided it into two. Childbirth, uh-huh. which is currently out right now. Okay. Um, and that was released June 2023. Okay. But the book on pregnancy um, and the stuff that I've seen as a childbirth attorney that ah. occurs during pregnancy, that is set to come out later, like in 2024, hopefully. Got it. Um, but I'll tell you, publishing a book, being a partner in a law firm, uh-huh. raising three kids, right. wife to a very busy business owner uh-huh. is, you know, is, it's, it's hard. So hopefully, so I started, so I started taking some of the content and I actually started a childbirth blog. Okay. So it's kind of everything that I would tell, again, my kids right. is what I need to know. Right. Or if I'm like, oh, why didn't I include that in the childbirth book? Right. Blog, you know, gotcha. and then same thing. So the pregnancy stuff, I've been like dumping it into the blog. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm like, you know, because listen, and ultimately I want to make sure parents have a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have time to publish it, then I'm just going to keep this blog going. So if there's, you know, a question or different, just, and it's definitely a different twist. Yeah. When you have a childbirth attorney. Mm-hmm. Remember, I have no medical experience. Right. Uh, so you have the childbirth attorney that's, you know, writing everything. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. So, and then also, like you said, chapter one of my book with all of the lessons is on my website, download it for free, do what you want. And then my niece's story, the one that kind of triggered me Mm -hmm. to like, wait a minute, you know, I may know something about childbirth that would help families, um, her story's introduction. And I do have that on the, on my website also. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was incredibly helpful. We could easily have you come back and talk about pregnancy, (laughs) but this was, yes, this was, this was, this was so, so helpful. And so like, not just for the listeners, but for me as an obstetrician also. So I so, so appreciate your time. Dr. Rankins, you are awesome. And you know what? I went and researched you (laughs) and looked you up and you definitely would be one of the doctors that everybody should, uh, everyone should want. Oh, well, thank you. So thank you very much. And thank you for doing this podcast for all of the patients, because what I talk about with preparing and learning, you're giving them that information that I so want everybody to learn. So thank you very much. Wasn't that a great conversation? Gina is obviously very passionate about her work and I appreciate how she has taken her knowledge and expertise and experience and turned it into something to help folks have a great experience giving birth. Now, you know, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top takeaways from the conversation. Here are my Dr. Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Gina. One, you can always ask for a new nurse or even a new doctor. You can definitely ask for a new nurse if your nurse is not connecting with you. Sometimes people don't realize that. Just ask to speak to the charge nurse. The charge nurse is the nurse who is on the unit who doesn't typically have patient care responsibility. She's just responsible, not just, but she is responsible for managing everyone on the unit and making patient care assignments and just kind of keeping an eye on things and making sure things are running smoothly. So if you're not happy with your nurse, just ask to speak to the charge nurse to be assigned a new nurse. You can even ask for a different doctor. I've had some birth story episodes and guest interviews where people have fired their doctor during the course of labor. That's not easy and it may not always be straightforward to find a replacement, but you can certainly try if you're really having a bad experience 
with the doctor and um, you want something different. Number two, I appreciate her frustration about doctors having different opinions about things. This is really a reflection of the art part of medicine. Not every decision, not everything is necessarily straightforward. I will say that I do genuinely believe that most doctors are caring people who want to do the right thing. We go into medicine wanting to take great care of people. Sometimes clinical situations, though, arise where everyone's definition of what is right varies. You may have one person who sees that things should have gone one way and another person who sees that things should have gone a different way and neither one is necessarily wrong. So just know that it's not always as straightforward or easy or as simple as sometimes people make things out to be. The third thing I will say is that you heard how she said she's never seen a lawsuit where a doctor was sued for doing a C-section. Doctors are typically sued for not doing a C-section. And I say that to let you know that, not that it's right that our C-section rate is so high, but you can see how if you are a doctor and you have that in the back of your mind that you could potentially be sued, for not doing a C-section, but not sued for doing a C-section, then you can see how that may influence your decision-making process. Again, not saying that it's right, but that's the reality of where medicine and malpractice is. And malpractice isn't something that's necessarily, or isn't something that's um, easy or or straightforward. Uh, As she mentioned in the case about the doctor who was a maternal fetal medicine doctor who she was defending, it can be very emotionally difficult. So you can see how someone may come to the conclusion that, well, it's just going to be quote unquote easier if I do a C-section. Again, not saying that it's right, but you just have to understand the background of where we're practicing. The American society in particular doesn't do very well with understanding that sometimes bad things happen and it's not necessarily even anyone's fault. Things could have been done completely right, but people want to assign blame to something, to someone when things don't go as anticipated. And that can just be a challenge. It can definitely be a challenge to navigate that as we take care of our patients. All right, so there you have it. Do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to me right now so you will never miss an episode. You can also leave a review in Apple Podcast. I appreciate that too. And come follow me on the gram. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. That's a great way to continue the conversation. My DMs are open. If you ever want to shoot me a message, I absolutely love to hear from you. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.